0: If we as a community can get better at supporting human beings on their individual journeys. I think that um you know, we, we we'll just keep getting better the more open we are to um to building relationship and to supporting relationship and supporting our families in, in meaningful ways. Is
1: there- From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey.
2: So yeah, welcome back to the Plugged In Media Network. Uh, Ryan here joined with Damien and Mark Davidson. We'll get into that in a little bit. But first off, I think we just want to thank all the listeners, all the feedback we've received. It's been amazing. Um, all the all the feedback we've received through email for our podcast episodes, any comments, concerns, questions, send them. Just keep sending them because we love hearing them. It's the only way we get to grow is by hearing what the you know what the audience is thinking and how you're receiving it. And uh One of the other things we definitely want to get out there is that, you know, we've all know somebody, we all know somebody who's impacted by addiction, the mental health repercussions that are associated to that addiction or other kinds of trauma in somebody's life. And uh, the problem can often seem way too big to solve, but you can make a difference. And the way that you can make that difference is supporting, you know, OCJ by supporting us, you're supporting your community, maybe your neighbor, some of your friends even be a family member you know that is experiencing some of these issues and oh it's a heavy topic but we know that um, we have our donation page up on our website it's in the menu it's throughout the website look for the little open hands icon and uh, keep donating to OCJ because every donation every dollar matters and that enables us to keep doing what we're doing and I don't know about you Demo, but <clears throat> I know our phones are blowing up off the hook and our emails and people are reaching out Yeah,
3: they are. It's, uh, you know, I've been gone for a couple months away working and, you know, to get back and kind of get back in the mix immediately with uh, people looking for solution or looking for hope. uh, It's been uh, pretty inspiring over the last couple of weeks since I've been back, around. So yeah, if you, if you feel compelled, please uh, donate, Uh,
2: your uh, donations will go far in uh, serving our community. Absolutely. Every donation, you know, we can, we can make a difference. You can help us make a difference. And uh, what we're doing is is saving lives. We've had feedback before that, you know, we've we've touched people's lives and changed them in a way that um, people with lived experience can do so often. And every donation, like I said, helps helps us keep pushing forward and gets more boots on the ground when people are reaching out. So take that and head to the website, ourcollectivejourney.ca. And with that, we're going to open up this episode with our guest, one of our friends, Mr. Mark Davidson. Welcome, hey. Matt. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Mark is the, anybody who doesn't know, Mark's the superintendent of SD76 here in Medicine Hat. I think, what, five years or something you've been? Yeah, super... just a little over five. That's wild, man. Goes fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I was reading your bio before mm-hmm. and all the different uh, levels of education you've been in mm-hmm. is quite impressive.
0: Yeah. I've worked all over the place. Yeah. It's funny. Hey, I, I started, came out of university, wanted to be a high school social studies teacher and then spent- nine years in elementary school before I ever made it to a high school. I think the only grade I haven't taught something in is, is, uh, grade eight. Okay. Grade eight's a different animal, <laughs> you know, I think you need a special kind of personality.
2: To, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For grade eight, I could remember, well, not really. I wasn't there a whole lot, so I don't really remember <laughs> what that animal looks like, but I know what I was doing instead of grade eight. So I can relate to what you're saying yeah, maybe. Ab-
0: yeah, absolutely. There's a lot going on when you're in grade eight.
2: Yeah, totally. So we definitely appreciate you coming in, sitting down and uh, sharing some of your journey with us and the importance of the, you know, mental health and addiction and how that's impacted your life. And, you know, that's one of the things about this platform is let's get these stories out there. Let's show everybody. And we talk about it all the time, right? Changing the face of addiction to recovery and mental health to to, to hope and you know, Mm -hmm. shining a different light on it. And by telling these stories, we help to do that. We help erase that stigma, open the door for the next person to share their story or to reach out for help. And, you know, in my opinion, that's the only way to start chipping away at stigma and, you know, knocking down one more obstacle for people to get help. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So why don't you uh, give us a little background on yourself, man? I know Damien and I were talking before this and you know, we don't know a whole lot about you. We know what we've read in your bio, yeah, and we know from just some conversations. But I'm super pumped to have you here too.
0: Yeah, well, I'm. I'm glad to be here. Where do you want to start? <laughs> hey,
2: <laughs> you tell us. Okay. <laughs> well, uh,
0: I'm. Uh, I'm 52 years old, so born in in 1968, and uh, my mother was uh, was 18 years old when I was born, and my father was 33. Uh, she needed to actually go to court to get emancipated to, to marry my, no my dad. Um, was born in, I was born in Edmonton, but, uh, spent the first couple of years of my life in a community called, uh, I hmm, uh, lost the name. We were just talking about the mine that I worked in before. That's not the name. Uh, <laughs> a Can tongue, the Canada Tungsten Mining Corporation Village. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you, that was a, Tiny little community. Uh, I think you could get in uh, during only certain seasons. Otherwise, it was helicopter in and out, and a uh, little one-room schoolhouse kind of a deal. And um, we moved a lot. Uh, my dad would get into trouble, probably with coworkers, sometimes with the law. I'm sure that kind of thing. Mine too. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we moved uh, a fair amount. Um, from, from there to oh, Grand Cache and back up north and Vancouver Island, Vancouver, then up north in Saskatchewan, just all over, uh, the place. And of course, when you're little, you don't always know why you're moving, but we just, we moved a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom was, you know, like young. I, people talk like lots of people, My Che, they, they love the Beatles. Lots of people just love the Beatles. It right. doesn't matter. I've got this Beatles aversion thing because she played it nonstop. You think when she had me, when she got married, she was a kid, yeah, 17 years old and the Beatles were all the thing. And so, yeah, no, I, 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 I can't do the Beatles, but, um. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't, yeah. I don't do the Beatles either. Yeah. 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 No, I just, uh, I can't get there. Although on occasion, you know, a song will come up and I catch myself Enjoying it more than I want to let myself. Right. I mean, uh, (laughs) that's kind of the deal. That's awesome. Yeah. So they were, I mean, there was such a pretty amazing age difference between, between those two. And, uh, you know, I think she married, uh, him in order to escape sort of being poor in a life that was Mm -hmm. hard and challenging. And he held out the promise of, of, um, being a working person and, uh, and, um, and was kind to her and and all of those things initially and she didn't i don't think realize that that um that what she was getting into was life with someone who was was really struggling with addictions and mental mm-hmm. health challenges and was also a pretty aggressive uh, abusive person physically and emotionally so yeah her road for the 11 plus years they were married was that was a hard, hard road for her. For sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I can tell, <clears throat> you know, in, in my story and Damien's story, we've all experienced that. You talked about uh, initially your mom didn't know itself into, and man, can I ever relate to that? Cause we're all, you know, when we're living that addictive lifestyle, we're all so good at wearing those masks and sure. only showing you the cards we want you to see, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's yeah. such a huge piece in mo- most people's stories mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Crazy.
3: Yeah, I, 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 agree. I think I can only look at my story and, um, I think there was like, there's two sides of Damien or there, you know, there were, mm-hmm. and there's the one side that's sober, that's not drinking, that's kind, compassionate, caring, you know, a mm-hmm. good human being with integrity and morals. And then there's that person that shows up when I'm drinking and drug, and that person lost sight of any morals, any values. Um, and I did a lot of things that, uh. I'm not proud of today, but I'm not ashamed of anymore because, you know, that, uh, mm-hmm. that path allowed me to become who
2: I am today, which is this person sitting here in front of you two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Man. It's so true. And I can relate to that even in my own personal life, you know, I am divorced now, but yeah, I only showed the cards that I wanted people to see back then in my previous life and, and never really recognized that I had this problem. And when I did, I was sure wasn't showing anybody that stuff. Right. And yeah. like you said, demo. When I was out drinking and using, anything was happening. I had no idea what was going to happen because I had no morals, no values, no, no concept of conscience or anything like that. Right. It just Mm -hmm. eliminated all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. That's so relatable when you talked about, you know, your mom and dad's early connection. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: That's interesting too. I I think we all hold pieces of ourselves back. There's the parts you share with your, with your wife or your partner. There's the parts you share with your coworkers. There's. Right. You, yeah. if you, you do that. Um, with my dad, the, he would show different parts to us, depending on where he was and his sort of cycle, right? He would be, I don't think he was ever sober when I was a kid. Um, but he would be more or less troubled or desperate or mm-hmm. something, right? There were times when it was calmer. And then there were times when it was just insane to live in that house. But I don't know, I don't know what people outside the house saw all the time. Um, there were times, I don't think my mom saw the face he would show me, Mm -hmm. right? Because he doesn't want her to see that, that face either. So yeah, it was, uh, my wife this morning about memory. And, uh, she was talking about like having vivid memories of moments from when she was little and talking about why, like, why does that thing stick out? Because the, what was happening in that moment wasn't particularly spectacular. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't skydiving or something. It was just this, this moment. And I think when I think about the moments she described, they were moments of like real connection Yeah. or or real disconnect or like trauma or something that really shakes your tree, you know? So like remembering your grandpa doing uh, this little piggy on your toes, <laughs> why do you remember that? Cause he probably did it as she said, 10 times or more, but it was that feeling of true connection with that person that was just about love. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, when I think about memories of, of that being a young kid up until, uh, eight or 10 years old, I have two very different sets of memories, lots of those kinds of connections with my mom, like playing trucks on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I can remember what that carpet looked like and the way we used the shag to create like little hills in between yeah, that kind of goofy kind sure. of stuff. Uh, but then I remember I, I have no memories of my dad that are about that kind of connection. In that period of time, it was, it was fear or, uh, or pain. And he'd come home from school and take a look around the house. And depending on the state of the living room, depending on the state of the kitchen, what stuff he had laying around, and I, I could, if I could get out of the house and go play with someone until, until the streetlights went out, or if I could, uh, get to my room and get quiet that was the goal for sure. Cause yeah, it was uh, strange. Now, eventually we got to a place where I have real memories of him that are, that are about love and connection, but it took mm-hmm. 30 years yeah. to get
2: there. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's- I, I have the exact, <laughs> not exact,
0: but I have very
3: similar um, experiences in my life where there was a period where I don't, I didn't remember any good, yeah. From my childhood, you know? Yeah. Um, and I chose to focus on, you know, the negative and, and the anger that that instilled in me. And and there's been a certain point over the last seven years where through whatever I've done to heal myself, these memories of good from my mother and my father start to come back mm-hmm. and I accept them. And it is, it's it's weird. Like you said, there's, there's certain ones that stick out, but... The, the further I go along this journey of being a dad now, more memories are coming back and it's like, huh, you know, it wasn't all bad, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, there was some good. And when I yeah. really truly look at it, I am exactly like my father. You know, I yeah. sit like him, I hold my hands <laughs> like him. I have a <laughs> receding hairline like he did. Yeah, And I'm not ashamed of that anymore because my dad was a survivor and did a lot of things to get sober and to, become a pretty good dude. And I also have those
0: character traits. Yeah. Right. You know. And how blessed are, well, both of you guys, how blessed are your kids that they get to have you now? Yeah. That they get to start uh, building those memories and, and maybe go through life without having that space where they're blocked and then you have to go back and retrieve them more or go through a forgiveness journey to get there or forgive yourself to get there. Right. Like,
3: Yeah. And it's funny. Like I took a parenting course in January and like I've, I got sobered. Then I had kids. So my kids have never seen me drunk, but my kids have seen frustration. They've seen anger, sure. you know, not violence. Like I saw as a kid, but you know, i I have this perfectionism piece where I want to do it perfect. You know, I don't want them to suffer. And this facilitator of the course is like, get over yourself. You're going to fuck your kids up. You know, (laughs) it it doesn't matter what you do. They're too complex of beings for you not to fuck them up in some way. So just be with them. And it's like, Oh man, that's a lot of pressure just laid off me. But then I'm like, ah, how am I fucking them up? Like,
0: you know, like,
1: (laughs) what am I doing? So it's
3: just understanding that I think, you know, if they see me risking and see me being vulnerable and see me struggling at times that gives them permission to model the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like my dad struggled, my dad cried, you know, I, uh, Mm -hmm. that's what I strive to do for them today. And Mm -hmm.
2: I think we're winning. Oh, absolutely. Oh
0: yeah, you are. Totally. Um, My kids see the same things, right? Yeah. Frustrated moments or sad or, or anger or self doubt or all of those things. They, that's being human. I think, maybe the big lesson they get from watching all of us flawed humans work through life is that well, perseverance and stubbornness and always returning and
2: yeah, yeah,
0: those are good lessons to see and live. And
3: And do you think our dads like they weren't, they weren't ever given this option. I don't think like my dad wasn't ever given an option to feel his emotions and to, to be vulnerable. It was like Mm -hmm. your provider rub some dirt on it.
2: Be tough. And if you can't be tough, drink over it. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the piece when I hear you say that, that's how I relate. You know, my dad was, I think we, Rick and I joke about this all the time. We may have all had the same fathers. I don't know. Yeah. But you know what? It's relatable. But that piece that you just said, Damon, was huge because yeah, I look back on my dad's story and he likely didn't have the chance that we have today. You know, he was the man's man. He was brought up in that generation by, you know, a previous generation's man's man and this and that. Right. And it's huge to be able to sit down with three dudes today and talk about this stuff because this would never have happened 50 years ago or whatever with our dads. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: My dad was born in, in 1935. um, And later in our journey, um, he came out as being uh, homosexual or bisexual gay. Yeah. He wasn't even sure then because he had sort of stepped on himself Uh, For how long? Right. And how long did society step on him? If you're born in 1935 in Edmonton and you're starting to figure out your sexuality and it doesn't fit what it's supposed to be in 1953,
2: 1956. 2021.
0: (laughs) What do we know that people, what do we know that people do? What do we know that the young people that we care for in our schools do when they feel like their family or their society or their peers won't accept them? They start to. Mm -hmm. Self-medicate, right? Yeah. He, his journey in the years before he married my mom, you know, he'd, he'd, um, he'd bought and sold a bowling alley. He'd toured all over, um, calling square dance and singing in sort of bluegrass kind of bands and and that kind of stuff. He, he had, um, been in a wicked, um, car accident, driving drunk, killed, um, passenger in the vehicle so think of the think of the pain by the time he was 33 years so it's nearly 20 years younger than I am now married and has his first kid he can't be who he is Yeah, he can't admit the hurt he's caused he's constantly self-medicating and he's wanting to have a family and to be part of the world mm-hmm. like I I the, the hurt that.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's Absolutely. Yeah. man. And one of the big things we always talk about in here when we share these stories, right, is that we're not, we're not trying to assign blame to anyone. Mm-hmm. We're just talking hard truths and the way things were. And, yeah. and, you know, I look back on my parents' life and they did the best they could at that time with what they had in the tools they knew Mm -hmm. yeah and it's not about I had shitty parents it's not about that no it's about recognizing and learning and being open and honest and talking about these things now so that you know maybe the cycles that we grew up in ends today Mm -hmm. those types of things right and it's just yeah these conversations matter a must-have I think and I can safely say like I wouldn't be who I am right
3: now If it wouldn't have been for exactly how I was raised, Mm -hmm. you know, everything I am, I owe to my mother and my father because that, that allowed me to have empathy and compassion and to have anger (laughs) that fuels me and to be determined and everything. Right. And to be able to sit here and I I feel you, you know, like this emotion about understanding what our parents went through Mm -hmm to do the best they could, which was to bring up three pretty good dudes, like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. uh, that are leaders of self and leaders of our community, but it's because of those experiences, you know, yeah. that's, that's why I remember those little nuances, like you talk about the three little, or the, the little pigs on the toes yeah. or the cars, right. It's because yeah. of those experiences. Um, not, nobody ever taught me anything. I experienced things. Mm-hmm. some painful some joyful but mm-hmm. all of it perfect
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's a great uh a great way to look at it there are things i would do differently um i think obviously there are things if, if you could go back and have a, a an easier ride at some points you might make that choice yeah but we're not given that and so to live in regret uh, i think it robs you of enjoying where you are today and people don't get all of you right if you're stuck thinking about things you wished were different and, and
2: totally. Uh, yeah. We talk about that a lots living in the past and how that keeps us stuck. And especially when you're in active addiction, that's one of the biggest things is never being present in the moment, right? It's either thinking about all the what ifs that happened in the past, or I should have done this. And then, mm-hmm everything that's maybe going to happen in the future. And that keeps us stuck in today. And it's, you know, by being present right now in this room with you guys, it gives us a chance to, gives me a chance anyway, to start recognizing some of my own stuff. Listening to you guys talk about yeah. different memories coming back, right? Yeah. I, I I instantly have been taken back now when you were talking about your dad, Mark, about when my dad passed and how angry I was and how much I thought I hated him. Yeah. And now just listening to you guys share your stories about that, it starts to reframe it for me. Right. And these little memories of caring and loving start coming back. Not always just the fear and the terror and the violence and the alcohol. And yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Oh wow. man, it's liberating, right? Yeah. 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 It's amazing. You know, I talk about this with some of my friends that, you know, shed a little light on that part of my story is, you know, in 2006 when my dad rolled his truck and passed away and I was right behind him. Um, you know, I, I didn't deal with it properly. And five minutes before he rolled his truck, he phoned me. And I, back in the days when you had the truck mounted phone Mm. on the dash. Right. So I remember seeing the time it was 622 and I thought, fuck that. I'll talk to that asshole tomorrow. And I pushed ignore. Yeah. And then when he, we cleaned up the accident site and we found his watch and the glass was broke. It was 624 on the, when his hands on his watch were frozen or bent. Right. So I carried that forever. I, I carried guilt over not answering that phone call, Mm. but I also carried hate and anger towards him for leaving us like that, you know, blaming him for this, this accident that was out of his control. But just listening to those stories, right. I, I start to reframe that. And I have been doing a lot of this work over the last six, seven years. And, but you know what, like thinking about my dad in a whole different light nowadays than I did for those first couple of years when I was really heavy into active addiction after his passing. Yeah. has been life-changing for me and just reaffirms what you guys are saying today that how beneficial that is to start looking at you know that liberating piece looking yeah. at it a little bit differently right yeah. and he did the best he could
0: was was there a um moment for you where you either forgave or were open to all of the good things about your dad like was it a moment or was it a it's a journey. I
2: think it's, it's been a huge journey. Yeah. Yeah. There's not one moment I can pinpoint, but there's lots of them over the last six, seven years, right. Where yeah. I can remember forgiving him for this thing or recognizing other pieces to that story that I carried for so long that I was pissed off at him for that. Right. Yeah. So it's been a huge process and it'll continue, I'm sure forever, but. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Damien? You, you
0: had a
3: similar. Yeah. I'm getting choked up. Because I, I, I know there was one definite moment. So. Uh, my father's been legally blind since I was around 18. Okay. And uh, three or four years ago, I did a, a week-long personal development seminar down in uh, Napa Valley, California. And there was a man there who had the same disease that my father has that caused him to go blind. And uh, I became very close to this man. Mike Hess is his name. And uh, we do this during the seminar. Um, they have a poll. And you have to climb to the top of this pole and on top of this pole, there's a little, you know, foot and a half platform. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And it's the symbolism of it is, you know, they give you a word and you're capable of doing it. And anyway, um, I watched Mike Hess climb to the top of this pole and and get up on that platform and he jumped to grab this trapeze and he comes down and it wasn't that, that was the, the thing that changed, but, uh, I was walking with Mike and he's holding my arm and we're walking down this dirt road and we walk into this field and there's this huge Oak tree and these kind of mountains off to the left. And he says, uh, he says, well, where are we going, Damien? Cause we hadn't been there yet. And I'm explaining to him about the mountains and these mule deer that I see in this huge Oak tree. And he says, stop for a sec. Can you close your eyes? I'd like to take you into my world. Wow. And for the first time, He says, can you feel the sun on your cheek? And Uh I could feel the sun. He said, can you feel the wind blowing against your right cheek? And I could feel the sun. Mm -hmm. He said, can you smell the flowers? And I could smell the flowers. (laughs) And for the first time, I knew what it was like to be my dad. Wow. Wow! And it was one of the most powerful, forgiving moments I've ever had in my life. And I have the best relationship that I've ever had with my father today. And it's one of just acceptance, you know, mm-hmm. one where I don't need anything from him except for him to just be him. Yeah. And that's a pretty cool <clears throat> space for me to be in because I didn't live there for a long, long time. Right.
0: Yeah. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't wow. think I'd be crying this morning. I'll tell you that boys. <laughs> oh my goodness. The goosebumps, man. For a while there, my dad, uh, he,
0: he, He, um, I would go visit after my parents got divorced when, when, uh, I was 11 and I would still, my mom would put me on the Greyhound and, um I would in Calgary, I'd get on the Greyhound. I'd ride it up to Edmonton. He'd pick me up. And about half of the time when he picked me up, he had a Grand Torino, um, two-tone like brown, dark brown and light brown is a. In a ugly car, right? But <laughs> anyway, he, uh, he would pick me up about half the time. We would, the the, the bus stop, the South Terminal was in a hotel uh, or next to a hotel. Anyway, I, I would sit in the back of the car and he'd go in and get loaded and I'd read comics or whatever, go to mm-hmm. sleep. And then he would drive us to his apartment and. And, uh, and him being physically or verbally abusive didn't stop when the divorce happened. <clears throat> then you get to a point when you're, you're, I don't know, 13 or 14 and your, your mom can't make you get on the bus anymore. So then I don't go. Yeah. So then turned into phone calls less often and those kinds of things until eventually you sort of lose, lose touch in a lot of ways. And you know, I knew he was getting deeper and deeper and, and less and less healthy. I got married in my, my first marriage in 1992. And, uh, he came to the, to the wedding and, um, brought a, a friend of his. And I think it was, a, a like a partner, young, young guy. Uh, but they were obviously just like, they they really needed what they couldn't get in this town. They didn't know where to connect and stuff. So they weren't there for long and they were gone. And then over the course of, uh, the years that followed, he would, uh, he would call and ask for money and, uh, and I would send it. And then eventually one day, my, my, uh, wife at the time says like, I don't know if you're helping by sending him money. So. I, the next time he called, I said, look, I'll, uh, I'll send you Safeway gift cards or something, but I'm not sending you money anymore. Matthew. Yeah. Just you piece of shit. <clears throat> every had every name he could Right, hung up the phone. That'd be like 93. And I didn't hear from him again until my daughter was born in 98. And, uh, when she was born, I called my aunt. Uh, who lived in Sherwood Park at the time. And I said, if you could let dad know, he's a grandpa. And so she put a sign up at the Boyle Street Mission, said, Tom Davidson, call your son, your grandfather. And so he called, collect. Uh, He, uh, I said, come visit. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Don't be sorry. (laughs) So he uh, hopped on a Greyhound. To Radir, where I lived at the time, met, uh, Kira, my oldest daughter, who, who right now is doing a, she's doing a bachelor of social work. She's in her last practicum and she's doing them, uh, in our schools, working with kids and, um, talk about, um, an interesting place where a person's legacy follows through because there's a there's an unbroken connection between her and and my dad. But anyway, he he couldn't he was going to stay for the night, but by five or six o'clock he he needed to know when the next bus to Edmonton was coming and he was back on the bus. But then we we started talking to each other more often and um when he would get in trouble, like if he if he was arrested or uh whatever, he would let me know what had happened and I went and visited him at, uh, he, in, um, for one of the sort of an alternative sentencing experience, he was in a, a treatment center. Um, and that was, it's for, he and i to have a conversation where I got to hear from him in real raw terms, what he'd been living, right. That he'd been, um, everything that he owned was gone. Like every photo album, every, it was all gone because he didn't pay rent and they locked it. And it was just all of those sort of family memories or whatever. Um, He'd lost his job. He'd lost me. uh, He'd lost meaningful connections. And he just, he just kept um, using and trying to stop. And there were just so many, he steps forward and back and it just kept, it was a, a a lot of cycling. And I had sort of decided I'll keep talking to you, but I'm going to just sort of keep my distance because you're my dad and I should, and that's what good people do. (laughs) I'll I'll go be physically present, Mm -hmm. but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna care, but I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And then you just sort of fall back into that person's life. Right. And he got clean and sober in 2000 and started um, setting up for meetings of uh, NA at either end of Jasper Avenue. He had an apartment in the middle. I think he was he was on Asian and um, maybe by then CPP too. He would get on a bus in the morning go to one end of Jasper Avenue, run a meeting, and then get on get on a bus, go to the other end, and set up a meeting. You know, and That's amazing. and. Uh, he in the course of the three years between him becoming sober and his passing, I got to know him because I'd never known him. Right. We were talking earlier about the part of you, you show the world and, uh, I got to know him, man. He was smart, funny, had a a massive memory and, uh, and a really good heart and an amazing uh, sense of humor and real love for, uh, for his family, for my daughter. Eventually he met my, my son who, who comes to me through my second wife, just a little dude when he met him. Um, but he, you got to see this whole amazing human. The part of that, part of that journey for him, um, through NA was a conversation with me about forgiveness. And I don't know, you know, when you're little, you parents make you mad, you go in your room, never going to talk to them again. I'm so mad. <laughs>
2: you're packing a suitcase. <laughs> yeah, I'm like out of, away to the end yeah, of the ball. Yeah.
0: Screw you. I'm gone. <laughs> well, I, I carried this sort of version of that myself. Mm-hmm. You I cannot forgive that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and you left scars on my body. I cannot forgive that. I'll never will. He called. And asked And there wasn't even hesitation It just Yeah, I love you So how did that How did that Happen And that process for him When he healed All these people Got to see all of him How do you not love and forgive Someone who's giving themselves to you in That way, it's amazing So the gift that I earned um, from that is uh, understanding what forgiveness means in creating space for relationships to come back to heal. Mm -hmm. And the gift that he gave me, how much he taught me in those three years, for all the years I thought he had nothing to give for all that I learned from him through his courage and his willingness to, to seek forgiveness and to not get stuck in feeling like he wasn't worthy. Mm -hmm. His, his funeral, I tell you it was, uh, he, um, by the time we had reconnected, he had, um, um, contracted HIV at, um, Hepatitis and all kinds of problems with sharing mm-hmm. needles and so on. And he he said to me, um, um, that, you know, he felt like going and helping set up the meetings and so on allowed him to help people. Because there were people coming to those meetings who had helped him mm-hmm. when he was in the middle <clears throat> of his challenges, you know. The funeral, this little church in downtown Edmonton, it was standing room packed with people and it was all walks of life, right? There were were, uh, people who I know from talking to the person sitting next to me were people who were dealers. There were police officers and there were public health nurses and there were prostitutes and there were judges and there were like, it was just full of people. Some who had um, helped him deal with the consequences of his actions. Some who had won, at least, who had given him a consequence for his actions, you know? Right. And all of those people saw the value in him and were there in that moment. What that tells me that that person who didn't, didn't get to that place of sobriety until so late in his life was always worthy of the love that he was receiving in that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. What had I withheld when I was a young man and how lucky am I, am I that he gave me the chance to stop withholding or to give it back, you know, it's pretty cool. It's a cool journey. Ooh.
3: Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> wow. it is. Um, forgiveness to me is an action. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, I, people would always tell me, forgive yourself, you know, forgive yourself, but theoretically I can do that, but I have to take, I had to take action in my life. And one day it just came right. And Mm kind of like your father, I think being an alcoholic and an addict, I was the last one to recognize that I had worth, you know, and the loved ones around me who, you know, the, they're supposed to love, you feel worthy. Yeah. Um, you kind of tune that out, you know? And, and for me, they're the ones that I heard the most, but what it was, was everybody seen greatness in me well before I ever seen it in myself, yeah. kind of similar to your father. Right. And, yeah. and it, it is, it, uh, it's a pretty cool journey when you can just be your authentic self. Mm-hmm free of that thing that was my solution for such a long time, which was the drugs and the alcohol yeah. and just be me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I said, th- it, it, that fills my heart hearing about your father.
2: Good. Wow. I didn't think it would be this deep today. <laughs> I've had goosebumps three or four times now and I, and so many realizations for myself. Right. And we talk about forgiveness and what a huge piece that is not only to myself, but to let other people back in my life that I've had resentments towards 20, 30, 40 years. Right. And, yeah. and it was this program, uh, my 12-step program that taught me that, you know, how resentments keep me sick and keep hurting me and not, you know, it's like, we hear this all the time in the rooms. It's like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. for me, it was like, I held on to so many of those resentments for so long and it wasn't impacting the other people at all. It was just keeping me stuck. And in my mind, it was keeping me sick and that hamster on the wheel running like crazy. And the things that they would say, or I'd hear they said about me or something, right. It was always impacting me, not so much them. And it was, you know, heavy on my mental health. And the way I knew how to cope with all of that was through drugs and alcohol. And that was just perpetuating that cycle of destructive behavior in my life for sure. So forgiveness has been a huge piece to my life. Yeah. And when you guys talk about your dads, right. And I've had so many realizations sitting at this table just in the last 39 minutes. And, and one of them is that if he was able to come through that door today, I would give him the biggest hug because I never got that moment at the end with him. Right. I shared earlier how I pushed the ignore button on that phone. And, you know, in those years leading up to that, Our relationship was usually we worked together in the oil and gas industry and it was usually, you know, either work related during the day or we were drinking and it was Mm -hmm. booze fueled relationship. And that's where our discussions were. I don't really remember having any true conversation about life experience or anything with him in the last, probably the whole 33 years of my life until he passed. And, you know, I would give anything today to be able to sit down with him and discuss my journey with him and discuss you know, our experiences and listen to his journey because we never got that chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to be able to hear you talk about your dad in those last three years of his life in sobriety or in recovery and be Mm -hmm. able to recognize, you know, all those experiences in his, his life took you to those three years and just to be able to connect with your dad and see what kind of a powerful man he is and what an awesome individual he's been this whole time. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But
0: you know, the cool thing, I think one of the things that I think about is... Um, you, families carry these legacies of trauma, right? That,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that my my mom's choice to marry my dad was connected to trauma. She she moved towards something that she thought would save her from what was a really hard childhood, right? Um, in like she snuck out the window of the sort of long stay motel that her mother and her, uh, sister and brother lived in, in order to get across town in Vancouver to be with her, their grandmother because her mother had r- real struggles with mental illness and, and her father would go away and sometimes he'd send money back and sometimes he wouldn't. And he just sort of lived his life. And, Mm -hmm. and these three kids are back with a mom in the middle of nowhere and she's doing the best she can. And then, you know, you spoke earlier about us being able to, to, um, to speak today in a way we couldn't have 25, 30, 40 years ago. That's a gift. Society is giving us better opportunities. That's a, a gift. We owe it to our community to cultivate that gift, to protect it, to make sure that there's always a space for people to be real about their lives. Right. But if you think about the relationships that your children get to have with you because of your willingness and your courage to work through that hurt and the things that brought you to addiction and the things that held you there or that you had to fight in order to be released from it, that that gift we give our kids, then think of the exponential gift that their kids get. Right. Like my, my kids get to see me, um, have a rage moment and be shitty every so often. I'm not always, uh, buttoned up. Right. But they, they get to see me and hear me work through it and think about it and talk about it. And, um, I hear them when they talk to me about their lives and their perspective. My dad was never heard. He heard me late in his life. And I pray that my kids always feel heard, you know? And so I have so much uh, respect for uh, anybody who overcomes, right? Who fights and overcomes. When I, when I did uh, a basic, there was a lady on our course, young lady, little tiny uh, uh, lady from Newfoundland. She would have been 19 or something. And we did, you do the rappel tower, I think it's 33 feet 10 inches, because that's the time where all of a sudden people go, oh... That's high. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't, if you have fear of heights, I guess that's the place where most people go. Ooh. Um, and I remember doing, I don't, I'm not afraid of heights and I like being physical. So you hook up, build the Swiss seat, get it all set up. You go to the edge facing backwards and you just lay back and walk down the wall. It's easy. Didn't, I didn't mind it at all. The uh, tower master. He would have been a grizzled old guy, like 52, <laughs> like my age, right? But yeah, right. I'm looking at him thinking, anyway, uh, people are yelling at her. Marching NCMs kind of yell at you and give you a and tell you to go for it. And he's like, tell every, every, y'all, y'all, just shut the F up. And then he just sits there and talks to her, you know, you can do this, ma'am. You got this. You can do this. And he just stands with, sits with her. He sat right down on the ground. Looked her in the eyes, talked to her, do it on your own time. We're all here. We're getting paid. Queen's paying us to be here, whether you do it now or later, it's all good. He just was calm. And he stayed calm with her until she walked all the way down the wall, crying the whole way, all the way down the wall. She got to the bottom. He's like, that's the bravest person here. Because everybody who finds it easy, doesn't take a lot of bravery to do it. If you're not afraid of heights and you're confident in your ability right. If you're afraid of heights and you're not confident and you do it anyway, how much courage did that take? Yeah. How much courage did it take for my dad to call me? He did it anyway. Yeah. What a that's a big sacrifice to make for me. I took it as being for me. It's cool.
3: And it's I think as human beings, we get stuck in that role of human doing. And what I heard you say was, you know, that that 52-year-old grizzled man was he was being with, yeah. you know, he was just with another human being, not attempting to rescue, not attempting to coach, allowing them to come up with their own solution mm-hmm. and do it themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And those are the experiences, taking it back to what we were talking about at the beginning, those are the experiences that we remember as human beings. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when somebody rescued me and made it easy for me. What I remember is what I've learned through hard painful experiences that brought me to the point where I'm at, um, same with your father, my father, you know, they went through some shit, Mm -hmm. but on the other side of that shit, that amazing human being got to really come to the forefront that taught me what perseverance is, taught me what resiliency is so that I don't give up and I can break that cycle for my boys. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that one day we grow up in a, a world where it's okay just to talk, you know, we don't have to have these podcasts to give people permission and to lead by example. It's just, what do you mean, dad? You had a a podcast to tell people it was all right to talk about their vulnerability. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Yeah. And that's what I hope uh, that's what we are doing. Right. One where, you know, we're, we're changing the narrative on society. There's a long ways to go. But at least we're on the uh, tip of the spear, you know, Mm -hmm. plowing forward, making it, uh, giving other people permission to, to,
0: to do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really important. I'm so glad that, uh, that, um, I got connected with, with you and I get to be part of helping it happen. Feel
2: grateful. Yeah. It's an amazing experience. Like we talk about it once in a while, when we were sitting at that first coffee in September of last year, we had no idea what we were doing. We just knew that it was time to do something. Yeah. Right. And here we sit today, you know, with, with a lot of individuals who have reached out for help, a lot of individuals who have reached out and want to be part of this to help somebody else. And when you were telling that story... I was thinking about the safe space that that gentleman created for that lady to feel her emotions, work through her fear on her own time, and you know that's kind of what we try to do here. Is we're just creating safe spaces for people to reach out where they're not gonna get judged, they're not gonna get turned away or laughed at or shamed or criticized. Or, you know, we're all worthwhile human beings. And like mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, is when you're in active addiction you're usually the last person to recognize that, that you have any worth left to give this world. Mm-hmm. And uh, by sitting in these chairs and knowing, you know, we're there to help the next person who reaches out based on our lived experience. Cause we sat there with that low self-worth at one time and it's not perfect. It's not fixed today. I can still go there pretty easily and yeah. experience that low self-worth, but I have individuals like you guys, my, my partner, a lot of healthy people in my life that I can go to today and not, sit in this too long based on, you know, the fear of, of other people judging me or the fear of looking weak or whatever it is. Right. I just need to reach out for help. Cause I know I tried it on my own for a very long time and man, that took me to, to the darkest places of my life. So mm-hmm. yeah, to create these safe spaces where we can allow people, give them that permission to reach out for that help, man, it's so powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Oh my So, gosh. you know, in, in hearing about your
3: father's story, how how has that impacted you throughout your life you know yeah. knowing what i know about me being exactly like my father uh how is that
0: showing up for you mark yeah i don't my life i think has gone through a couple of arcs like i've had some real different i don't know phases i guess is a way to say it like i We were poor, um, after, uh, we left my dad. Um, and, and I I worry when I say poor, I worry that my mom listens and hears me say that in a way that is somehow uh, a criticism because it isn't, you know, this is a lady who didn't finish high school, um, left, um, left my dad, brought me with, went back to school got a degree, took care of me. Like, you know, like she did, she, she did amazing things and, uh, and demonstrated amazing courage. And then probably I was 15 years old. I was hard to handle, right? I was not going, you didn't go to school in grade eight. <laughs> <laughs> I might've stopped going really probably in grade nine. And then just before I turned 16, I said, Uh, well, I didn't say I'm not going, I just stopped. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And part of it was I was tired of being, I tired of being poor. Right. Uh, My, uh, again, my mom did amazing things for me uh, and loved me unconditionally. And I knew it. She, everything that she owned after that sort of my mid early to mid teens, uh, I'll, I'll back up. I left when I was in my teens and I started working for cash. It was a cash corner in Calgary. You could, you'd show up there, they'd pick you up, take you right, to work. Right. So, uh, I started working cash corner. I'm, I'm living, uh, living on my own. I don't have a high school diploma. Um, I, I'm just working and hanging out with my friends, but not, never got to that place where I've felt dependent or whatever. I haven't uh, thankfully had to, had to deal with that on a personal uh, level. Um, But goofing around and getting in trouble and getting into fights and and that kind of stuff and working for cash, plastering houses and uh, never got to actually do any plastering. My job was to shovel the mud from the wheelbarrow to the, yeah, which was, it was good for shoulder development. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, the guy I was working for, um, he's, he's like, why aren't you in school? You should be in school. Well, I didn't give him a long version, but give gave him the short version. So he actually had in the truck one day when he picked me up these brochures for Viscount Bennett school, which is now Schnook college in, in Calgary was the outreach school. You need to go to school. Like you, you should be, you should right. be going to school. Um. So he put me on payroll instead of uh, working for cash and quitting time. When you're in that job, like you start, you're there before sunrise and you go all day because the season is so short. Mm-hmm. right? Uh, well, he would, he would let me knock off in time to get, Sometimes he'd take me other times he'd put me on the bus. And so for, that was the, probably for about a year, that's how I, I, uh, wow. sort of made my living and started going back to school. Um, and thinking, uh, yeah, I can, I could do something This sort of having a plan mattered to me. And I think some people respond to that, that really dysregulated kind of life by just sort of falling into that same thing. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm like, mm, I, I need a plan. Yeah. Um, So I started going to school at night and I worked that kind of job. And then I worked in the mine and, um, full time for a couple of years and and started going to Mount Royal as, a, and I call you not dysregulated anyway, a student not assigned to a faculty. Um, and, and I would, I would take courses that I needed in order to get into the education program knowing that I could get in at 19 without a diploma, as long as I'd taken all the right courses that I needed to do. I worked full time in the mine and some profs let me fax assignments, uh, for the two weeks that I was in, uh, or they would sort of let me write the exam when I got back and you didn't have to worry about me cheating online in 1980 or yeah. <laughs> whatever. Right. So, um, that all worked until I got into university and then they were like, these two in two out business doesn't work anymore. So, I had to work other kinds of jobs and, and then work summers in the mine and work my way through, through school. But all of that time I was being successful in school, but I was never good at relationships. Like we moved so much and I switched school so much. I got really good at making fast friends, right? I can, I I'd show up, we'll have a conversation. We're going to get along really well. And then I can take you or leave you later because I'm going to be moving anyway. And it wasn't, because I'm, I don't, it wasn't because I didn't care about people or connect with them. It's because I, I did not learn to do it. Right. And so I um, uh, got married when I was 22, 23, just finished, 23, just finished school and uh, never gave that a chance. Um, because if, if I felt so angry, I was afraid I couldn't control it then I just wrote off the relationship rather than lose control. I'm not going to be that guy who does these things. Right. So I just bailed on relationship. And I mean, she put up with 11 years of me bailing on, on any kind of conflict or challenge that was, that was hard. Mm -hmm. I'm out. Um, To the point where I was just really, I was just awful, passive aggressive, Mm -hmm. terrible dude. And because I didn't have, um i didn't trust relationships i wanted um y- you want the all of the things that go along with a relationship right that touch that sense of security yeah. and so on but as soon as i felt disrespected or or hurt i'm out yeah. so it was stages of me backing away for 11 years not not okay my dad Started coming back, as I said, I was still married to my first wife when, um, but we were divorced uh, two years later. So in that time of reconnecting with my dad, I'm losing my first marriage, and that's on me. Like I didn't, I didn't give us a chance, her a chance, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but when I reconnected with with my dad. I think that that forgiveness piece and listening piece and um I met my second wife who uh there, I lived with a lot of fear for a long time that if I just if I if I go to the bar and have a couple of drinks I'm going to end up drinking nonstop and then then I'm going to be him so I was really afraid of of yeah. you know, that kind of stuff um and then my wife said you're 30 to 33 years old man like he, he, you are who you are you just relax breathe right about the time she meets my dad um and there was something about the timing of of connecting with him um i was in a low low place right divorced and I would drive from from Tabor at the time to Olds every Friday, get my daughter, bring her back, and then take her back mm-hmm. on Sunday night. And uh, just in this terrible low place, there was something about the combination between the, <laughs> the forgiveness piece with my dad and I um, and um, being open to receive love and to hear criticism not as like, your garbage but criticism that was just have you thought about this and for some reason I was in a space where when she was offering thoughts on how to approach my relationships with people including her and forgiveness and getting to know my dad things just sort of all rolled up into a place where I became me right I I was able to be open with people about How I felt I was good at acting Like By that time I was a school principal Like the principal A little edgier than most A little more uh, Rambunctious Or like uh, I'm a little I'm different than Many in that kind of role But But I was sort of Playing a part But I got better at my job And I certainly became a better dad And and I I know I'm a better uh, Husband 18 years on Um because I learned to, that I didn't have to have that wall, right? I could be me and still be strong. I could Mm -hmm. be loving and, and, uh, and say that what you just said, that, that cut, that hurt. I'm not sure why let's talk through it instead of saying, screw you, I'm out. You know what I mean? So what a gift again from him and from Holly, for sure. Um, So the, the impact on me for, for quite a while was that. I went from sort of being broken and scared to being angry and um, aggressive and really walled off from people to now um, being um, more open. And I still struggle with some of the impacts of the things that happened when I was a a kid. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, well, about the same time as I met Holly, I decided to go for therapy and, Dang, that didn't work. <laughs> people, people who know what they're doing, talking to you, you know, how, how did you come to arrive here? How are you in this place where you feel this way about yourself? Struggled with, with, um, with thoughts of suicide and wanting to escape uh, me because I didn't feel worthy of love or um, I felt like every job I got that somebody would figure out you didn't graduate high school, man, and you don't deserve this, like this, because part of that, that cycle of abuse with my dad was that, uh, was that you are worthless, you're fat, you're dumb, you're, Mm -hmm. that, that was the verbal part of it. Um, So I always struggle with that. Maybe I don't deserve this. Maybe this, this nice life I have isn't mine. I stole it from someone or maybe this job that I have, I don't deserve or like all of that stuff. Um, you, I would get to really dark places and, and need real support from, from people who love me. And then people who, you know, had a set of skills and experiences I don't have to help myself. And, um, and I still, you know, um, Notwithstanding being a really good place with my, with my, in my life, we all go through times where you just said, right, Rick, you you feel unworthy or you're you're feeling down on yourself or whatever. Um, I've been introduced to these tools, right? I've, I have shared my insecurities or my fears with my wife enough times. To know that when I do it, she doesn't disown me or look down on me. So there's a strength there that, that I feel confident in. And I do, when I can feel myself getting stuck in a place like that, reach out mm-hmm. and uh, go uh, see uh, a professional and let's revisit this. Let's talk about how do I end up in this place? Cause I'm I'm still a work in progress, right? I guess, like we all are. Yeah.
3: I, I, you know, I say it often, but you know, change is constant growth is optional. And
0: yeah,
3: you know, I, nobody gave me a textbook when I turned 18 on what it was like to be or how I'm supposed to live as a human being. And you know, what I heard you say, Mark, was there's some miracles that happen in your life, whether it's the guy that picked you up on Cash Corner, who, yeah. even though he didn't know he loved you enough to say, Hey, I believe in you. I'm going to help you get uh, your education, you Mm -hmm. know, and then you taking the lead on that and perpetuating, you know, your dream to become an educator and, you know, seeing, you know, the relationship you had with your first wife, the beautiful child and the sacrifice you made to make that happen. And then, you know, drawing into your life, this, your amazing second wife, Holly is her name, right. Um, And how steel sharpens steel, you know, somebody that's going to give you feedback but you were the one that were able to heal yourself, to do the, to take the actions, to be open and receptive. And all these little miracles that happen. your dad, that relationship happening and opening you up to, you know, a relationship with your wife. And uh, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it's serendipitous. Everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to happen, when it's supposed to happen. Um, what I found for me was a lot of my life, I existed. You know, I wasn't aware I was ignorant to a lot of, you know, the way I was supposed to live or to show up in the world. And now that I've become uh, aware of how human beings are supposed to live, sometimes it sucks because those things come and I'm like, oh shit, now I got to deal with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I can, I can sit in this and I can be an angry, you know, closed off person, or I can be the man I'm supposed to be and be open and honest and vulnerable and, That takes work and that takes, (laughs) that sucks sometimes, but you know, I, I, everything that you said resonates because, uh, I've been in those positions, right?
0: Yeah. When you think about the work of, of, uh, our collective journey. So the buddy with the pamphlets on Cash Corner, I've said in, in grad speeches, um, there are people along the way who saved me without having any idea what they were doing. Mr. Fox was a vice principal of school. When I decided to quit school, he says, you are a smart person. You need a plan and a plan to see these are the things you need to think about doing. Cause this isn't your, the end of the journey for you. You're, you're going to go back to school. You're going to sort something out. Here are some things to think about. I was already out the door. I hadn't been, (laughs) they were calling my mom. Why isn't this kid in, in school? She's like, what am I supposed to do? Right. It's yeah. like herding cats. Um, there was a, a social worker. I used to do, um, theater in Calgary. I, it was something I loved to do. I, 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 played football. I wrestled and I did school plays. I, I loved it. And then I would, I would do plays, you know, that weren't school plays. It was, it was fun. There was a guy there who's since passed away, but he, um, he, we got talking one day at rehearsals and he, 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 he was a social worker. I didn't know that at the time, but we were having conversation at rehearsals and he picks up on, there's a, there's a need here, I don't can't really point to an individual thing. But over the span of a couple of years of doing plays and then in, in between those, uh, playing squash and that kind of stuff, he, he, um, gave me a sense of value that I needed in that moment right. As I was mm. trying to be a college student who hadn't finished really grade 10, that, you know, I hadn't successfully completed a grade since grade nine. And even then, I don't know that I did that, that those people who show up along the way, um, I bumped into them and I wasn't, I wasn't finding them, um, while also grappling with addictions. I, I have my own set of challenges, like, we all do, but I feel like there's a parallel between that and this where you're trying to set it up so that it isn't an accident, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? That that there's enough presence there that um, being there in that person's moment of need isn't about happenstance. It's not about maybe, it's about we're just there. Mm-hmm.
3: And I think that, yeah, that, that's it. In a nutshell, and it's, it's on a bigger scale or it's, uh, it's in the homes, you know, this is, you know, that parents are showing up maybe a little bit differently than they thought they could, uh, Mm. that kids show up a little bit differently than they're, they're being given permission for, Mm -hmm. um, this is a, a cultural shift in how we look upon our fellow man, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's not me just existing, it's me being of service and leading the way and showing what it's like to, be there for my neighbor, mm-hmm. you know, not just there to give him a cup of sugar, but just to be there to listen. Yeah. Um, and if we all do that a little bit more on a day-to-day basis, how good does our world get? Mm-hmm. You know, I think about when we've talked about this a little bit, but like back in the day when you, you were homesteading or you're on a farm and like your neighbors, like you were connected, mm-hmm. you know, you had to be connected for survival. And I think in our society, we've become very disconnected because of technology, because of our phones, because of... You know, just how we show up in the world that we don't give a fuck about one another like people used to. But I think this pandemic is causing people to really see the value in that human connection. Because when it's taken away, yeah, you don't realize how much that mattered. So maybe when we get out of this, the how are you doings are going to mean a little bit more. And it's not going to be that surface level social courtesy. It's going to be something of, I really care about you. What can I do for you today? Mm -hmm. How can I be of service? And yeah, I think that's what OCJ is. It's just us being us, Mm -hmm. nothing more, nothing less. And just showing up in the world as our true authentic selves.
2: Mm -hmm. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And, and I don't even know where to go with that. I mean, everything we're doing is done for, a reason, right? We may not know the reason today. And like you were saying, Mark, you know, those people that crossed your paths, same thing that we're doing here, right? We may not be able to get to see the outcome of a lot of the things that we're doing, but we're planting seeds, right? Same as a lot of the individuals you came across, right? They're maybe not in your life today, but they planted those seeds that mm-hmm. helped get you to where you are today. And, you know, I'd, I, I can count on, I can't count on all fingers and toes that I have, all the people that I've carried a message to you know, that maybe turned away in that moment, but came back a year, two years later and said, man, I remember sitting on the street corner, sitting in the jail cell and talking to you that day about that kind of, you know, recovery is possible or, or just a little bit of hope. Yeah. Right. And, and I remember leaving a lot of those situations thinking, well, I sure hope they heard something they needed to hear today and just carrying on with my day. Right. Cause a lot of times we're not meant to see what the outcome is going to be. And we just have to believe that we're doing the right thing for the right reason and keep plugging away and doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, it's powerful for sure.
0: Absolutely.
3: Well, but it's, I think in this society where everybody's uh, they want results now, yeah. show me now, show me now, show me now. So I think through our example of this, is life is a marathon. <laughs> it's not a sprint. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we're like you said, Mark, you're, you've gone through these phases in your journey of life and all of it's prepared you for today. Yep. You know, to sit here with your true authentic self, being vulnerable, um, opening, you know, that space for Ryan and I, and then whoever's going to listen to this yeah. in the future. Uh, but it's our obligation to take the action in our lives. You know, mm-hmm. I can't just sit on the couch and hope everything's going to get well. I'm the one that has to reach out if I'm suffering or to get outwardly focused. And I think that's, you know, the for us, Ryan and I and mm-hmm. Rick, the 12 steps of a 12 step program are kind of how human beings are supposed to live. And I, I truly believe they should be taught in schools, you know, and, and if we all live that way, life gets easy. You know, my, I can only speak for me, my life got a lot easier once I started living with a plan, mm-hmm. which was, you know, some, some steps out of a book that were put into a format that somebody like me could understand and,
2: and more importantly to use. Right. And yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty powerful stuff. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. 12 step is, you know, I had a lot of avenues. I went down in early recovery from professionals to some lived experience people, but the one that stuck with me for the last six and a half years is 12 step. And, you know, the principles of those programs, the life lessons, the the traditions and the spiritual principles is, you know, part of what's formed who I am today. And that's something that, you know, I'll be ever grateful for that program. And, mm-hmm. and for being open enough and willing enough to, to try it, because that's one of the things I hear so many times with the people that we reach or that reach out to us is that I tried that, that didn't work, but we've talked about it in other episodes too, right? It's, it's not a, like you said, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon and that's the way the program is, right? We get through the 12 steps. And then we start helping others and then we buy into the rest of the program and we form our lives around that program. It's not just a one hour a week type thing. Right. And that's the life changing pieces. That's what's helped me.
3: Mm -hmm. It's not just getting sober. It's like I'm going to the gym and in a week I want to see huge results. Right. And I'm not realizing that, you know, life is, life takes dedication, takes consistency, takes, you know, a lot of, uh, effort to not just exist and, you know, being here with you and and listening to your story of perseverance and, you know, where you got to, where you were able to get this forgiveness in your life and, and to be of service, you know, in a large capacity to the youth, right. Mm. Uh, is inspiring to me. Oh,
0: well, thank you. I, I think, uh, we're, we're, um, education is an amazing a place to be like, I'm, I've been a teacher for almost 30 years now. Um, I love that public schools are a place where um, we're trying to create a space where every kid can be (laughs) their authentic self. You be you Mm -hmm. Um, and learn to respect um, the diversity of people who surround you in a school, right? Um, If we were better at it, uh, and if we continue to work at getting better at it, then I wonder how many of our young people come away from school with a notion of, of, of where to go Mm -hmm. to get support. Um, The notion that, that our, our flaws or our unique challenges don't mean that we are flawed mm-hmm. or that we're broken, right? It just means that we have things that we need to, um, we need to put in their place and sort out and in order to live our full lives. I think uh, we work to build relationship with students and with families and to support them in taking that journey with their children, you know? I uh we've over the course of the last 5 years we've expanded dramatically the uh, amount of mental health supports we provide in our schools um some of that through partnership with uh, Alberta Health Services and and others at, um CMHA and, and uh all of them valuable um just never seems like there's enough right it's just, it's just that, um, you know. You think of the stories that we each have every day. Over seven thousand young people and another eight hundred plus employees walk into our schools in Medisnap Public, and they all have their own story, mm-hmm. and uh, it can be really hard for a system to slow down and see that individual story. So uh, how do we create a context where, um, every kid knows where they can connect, knows that there's a place where their story is, is, um, is accepted with compassion and with care and, um, we'll never be perfect. Right. But we'll, we'll sure try. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it.
3: I think there's, uh, we could be status quo and we could exist Mm -hmm. or we can attempt to be better and look for solution to break that cycle and make it better for those kids coming up. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're in my home or they're the 7,000 kids in the school district, it takes leaders to come up with solution. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know what I, I read a, an acronym today, lead, you know, leave ego at the door. Yeah. Right. And it was like, man, That's it, you know, and it's not about me because it was about me for a long, long, long time. Sure. And when I leave my ego at the door and it's just about a being of service, my life gets pretty good and the universe has provided for me more than I could ever have wanted um, or dreamed of. But one caveat, I, I got to be of service. I got to come up for solutions for myself, for my family, for my community, for the world,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, and, and how do we build leaders at the end of the day? That's, I think what you're in the business of doing is building leaders mm-hmm. that chase their dreams, that, uh, foster each other's, you know, creativeness and uniqueness and don't drag each other down like the crabs in the buckets. And if we can do that with 7,000 kids in medicine hat. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Man, we're in a pretty
0: good spot, right? Absolutely. You know, sc- schools reflect the community they serve, hey? Yeah, yeah. The the better we get as a community at supporting the families who send us their children, the better prepared our children will be. Because just like me, I, I would stay late to like show my age here again. I'd stay late to knock the chalk <laughs> off the brushes because I didn't want to see him, right? Um, when things were better in my life, when, when we went through that change of phase and Holly became this strength and I learned tools, I became far better a friend to anybody and better at my job than I was before. If we as a community can get better at supporting human beings on their individual journeys, right? Just look at that person across the table or in the desk three rows over or whatever and and give them grace and be ready to support them when they ask for support. Um, it, it's a lot about what you said earlier, Damien, about, about being. It's not about doing a bunch of things. It's about being. And um, we have a lot of great people in our community who care about about the their neighbors and uh and care about our kids and uh I think that um you know we we we'll just keep getting better the more open we are to um to building relationship and to supporting relationship and supporting our families in, in meaningful ways.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: And I think that's what O C J is about. I think yeah. there's uh When leaders in whatever organization have been leading for a long time and you run into those obstacles and, you know, I can imagine being a teacher, you get worn down at certain points Mm -hmm. and it's the community or three dudes like Rick Ryan and I are like, how can we help? You know, where it's not, you know, we know the answers, but maybe we can just build you up and help you get that fire lit back under you and then, you know, encourage and support that dream or that goal or whatever it is where, you know, I know in my business, when you, when you try and be that example, people Mm -hmm. want to tear you down. Oh, it's stupid. Mm -hmm. That's dumb. And after a while, you just like, you give up. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think as a community, when we have more people building each other up and like, great idea, let's start doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, then, then what can we achieve together? And, um, yeah, we're on, I think, or all of us are on a mission to be that catalyst of positive change um uh, mm-hmm. for our community. And in turn it just it fulfills me. My personal wealth, how I show up in the world is a lot greater when I'm engaged in service and uh, yeah.
0: That's awesome. That's
2: so good. Yeah. No, I can't uh I can't even wrap this up. I've thought about three different times now. And that <laughs> seems like a great spot to end today's episode, but it Just keeps going right, and we yeah. could sit here for hours and talk about this stuff because okay. it's so needed.
0: Absolutely, like, we
2: yeah. always we always say, Ah, part two, yeah, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 we'll get to all that
3: and this other cool stuff in part two,
2: yeah, yeah, for sure. There you go, anything uh, you want to leave us with today, Mark? Any Anything you don't think we, we touched on yet? That no,
0: I'm mean, I, I've enjoyed uh, spending this time with you guys, and uh, and I love uh, I love what we're uh. I love what you're about. I love what we're trying to accomplish together. And, uh, and, uh, I think it's going to be a great journey. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Demo. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful to have met you. You know, I've, uh, I didn't have any idea of what this was going to be today. And I feel like there was some healing on my part, you know, that, uh, I never saw coming, Mm -hmm. um, maybe a renewed, um, hunger to get back out there and start helping more people and, and to be in your life and to, to grow a relationship with you. Cause I think you're a very powerful, powerful man, Mark. And mm, I look you. forward to uh, what this relationship and what this journey of life looks like uh, with you in it. So
2: thank you. I appreciate that. Awesome stuff. Yeah. And I, I can personally say that that healing piece you talked about, demo. I, I experienced a little bit of that myself today and I know I'll take it with me out of this room today and sit and explore it later on and come to some more conclusions. And, uh, that's the beauty of this is we're never done learning, right? Never done growing, never. And when we think we are done, that's, you know, when yeah. we need to do a little bit more, probably. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So with that, you know, one last thing I'd like to leave everyone with today is that, uh, you know, the, if you like what you're listening to and, and you're, resonating with any of these messages man just tell one more friend the more people that hear these stories of hope the more chance there is that that one person who's out there who really needs to hear it today is going to hear it right it's not about numbers and it's not about subscriptions and it's about getting that message out there that people there's a safe space it's it's okay to reach out for help and uh you know, there is there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a different way to live, and uh, you're not alone. That's the biggest thing, I think. Um, if you are lives, listening to this from darkness to life, give us a rating on any of the streaming services you listen to this. You know, that's another way to get this message out there. Leave a review so that people can can see what this is about and wh- how it's helped you, and uh, just share. Share these stories. Share our social media. Just share the message because it can't get out there far enough I don't think yeah so with that the end yeah brought to you from the Plugged In Media
3: Network thanks, thanks Dave <laughs> thanks Rob thanks everybody thank you Mark for uh, for being here
0: awesome stuff guys awesome thanks guys
1: From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast these are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges if these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Contact Our Collective Journey on Facebook at Our Collective Journey or on the web at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pate. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a Plugged In Media Network exclusive. Check out this and our other great podcasts at PiMediaNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.